0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as a body and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine this book and see what you would have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hosea chapter 10, we're continuing with the prophecies of the destruction of Israel. Remember that during this period, Israel is... Prosperous, it seems like everything's going good and going their direction. And Hosea is telling them God's going to bring judgment upon them. And basically, they're saying, Go jump in a lake, Hosea, because everything's good. You know, what you know, you can't be a real prophet because everything's good. So, here we are in chapter 10. Israel is an empty vine, he brings forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made good, goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars and shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, we have no king because we feared not the Lord. What then should the king do for, to us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of beth Avin, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof shall rejoice on it, for the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. It shall also be carried unto Assyria, for a present unto the king Jerib. Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his, of his own counsel." As for Samaria, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. All right, so here we start out with, it says, verse 1, Israel is an empty vine. And technically this is better translated a luxuriant vine. All right, luxuriant, very large, uh, uh, very very good, good looking. All right, now it also has the idea of being empty. It is all leaves; it's no fruit, and this is part of what Jose is saying to them: that here we have a luxuriant, good-looking vine, and it's an empty vine—no fruit, no no uh, reward—but it looks good. You know, kind of like our country right now in, in, you know, out there. Our country still looks good; it looks like God is blessing things. Now, as we look around, we see that God is bringing judgment upon our country. But the world looks at it and says, Hey, everything is going good. Look at, look at all the good things going on in here. We've got all these good things, and, and God is looking and going, You're empty. You're empty. You may look good. You may look like everything's moving the right way, but you are an empty vine. And it says, according to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased his altars. According to the goodness of the land, he has made goodly images. So again, everything looks good. They're they're going, look at all our altars. We're we're getting more gods. We're We're worshiping these gods and we're getting blessed. And they're falling further and further away from God. And judgment is coming. And this is where our country is right now. You know, we are looking around and saying, you know, at least for those of us who know what to look for, we're going, God, look at all the pieces in play for the fall of our country. And the world looks at it and it says, Hey, we're we're able to do what we want. You know, we can we can go in and we can kill all our babies and not have a problem. We can we can not follow God's rules for marriage and not have a problem. We can we can do all these things and they rejoice in all that they're doing wrong. And you're looking at them and saying, how long, God, until you bring judgment? How long until all of this house of cards comes falling around the the nation? And this is, during this period of time, most of the people were following, following after idols and everything. They were a handful, obviously. There's always a remnant. But the remnant will eventually suffer when God brings judgment upon the nation. For the for the majority, our job is to speak up, to to say this is what's going on, even though they won't listen. All right, they didn't listen to Hosea, they didn't listen to Jeremiah, they didn't listen to to uh, uh, any of the other prophets that spoke, saying God is bringing judgment because all they looked at was white sight and saying hey yeah you know we we've got it made in the shade everything is going wonderful for us and we'll hear that if you talk to people they'll talk about how wonderful their life is how wonderful everything is even though they're sinning and we see over and over and God saying no this cannot happen so you say- will all fall. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. So when the judgment falls, we will suffer just as much, maybe not quite as much because we've got God on our side. So we at least sit back and say, God, I'm yours and you're going to protect me, but there's still going to be judgment and suffering for us. Uh, And this is what's going to happen even in in this period of time. It probably is. It's not going to surprise me that, that COVID is judgment. It's not going to surprise me that, you know, all the stuff that's going on, we've got storms and weather and all the stuff that's going on, uh, heavy droughts, and, and then we turn around and have heavy rains and the fires and the floods all of this stuff is the beginnings of judgment from God. And you know a lot of Christians don't want to say this, but it really is. All of this is God saying, you are making the wrong decisions, and here is just a little bit of my finger. Are you ready to repent? And we see it all through the scriptures where God starts with little things, you know, usually famine, uh, bad weather, you know, all these different things, and then gets more and more intense. And we're seeing that kind of stuff happening in our own country and around the world. And this is the sad thing. The world as a whole is so far fallen from God that God is starting to put his fingers on the world and saying, are you ready to repent? Are you ready to turn? And we saw places in the scriptures where people would repent and turn. And God held off the major judgment for a few, few decades. But we also see all kinds of places where they did not repent and God brought the full force of judgment upon them. And so this is where we're at. He says, yeah, everything looks good for you. You guys are looking real good. Everything is, is out there. And he goes, and you're thinking that you're doing this. You're building, building more and more idols. You're getting deeper and deeper into sin. And you think everything is good. And we're seeing this even in our own world. How, how deep is our sin that we're in, involved with? And it started out really simple, just a whole bunch of people living together outside of marriage, but pretty much heterosexuals. Now we're starting to see homosexuality run rampant and, and transgenderism and everybody saying, hey, we're free, we're free, there's no rules out there. And they think that they're happy. And God says, no, judgment is coming. And this will be when it shocks people, when judgment falls on the nation. And it says, their heart is divided now, shall they be found faulty and shall break down their altars and spoil their images. So God says, their heart is divided or slippery or spoiled. And this is something that is very interesting. It is where I work, I get to talk to so many people and hear so much stupidity being spoken to many times. Uh, they talk about how wonderful their, their homosexual lifestyle is and, and all the craziness that's going on. And they, and they talk about it with pride. And you know, this is what he's saying. Their heart is divided. It's slippery. And it shall be found faulty. It shall be found guilty. And this is what God is eventually going to do. He's bringing judgment upon people. But the funny thing is, even when the judgment falls, people won't recognize it as God's judgment. You know, they'll just talk about how bad luck has hit their way and how, how things aren't going their way. And you know, It's amazing when I talk to people and they're going, you'll know, you hear things like, well, all things happen in threes. You know, so that they're looking for three bad things happening. And as soon as that third bad things happens, everything's supposed to turn out good from that point on. You know, or whatever whatever it is they'll talk about. You know, they don't adjust their life to say, all this bad stuff happening to me is because I'm not following God. And this is where, yes, we will face the judgment. We will face tribulation. But by the same token, we have a God that we put our trust in, knowing that he's got a plan for us and that he is in control. So even when things seem to be going really bad for me, I'm saying, God, you're still in control. We are not guilty. We're going to, yes, we're going to suffer. The, the, the rain is going to fall on, on us just as much as it will the world. But we have a God that we can put our trust in and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. You've got a plan. What's the absolute worst that can happen when we go through this judgment? We end up in heaven. And I, I say worse. You know, that's really the best thing that can happen to us. You know, I, I get to go to heaven. You know, the worst is that I get to suffer for a while, and have to put my trust in God. And so he's saying here, you know, they shall be found guilty. He shall break down their altars and shall spoil their image. So everything that they trust in, God will destroy. And we're going to watch this, and it's going to be very interesting as we look and watch what happens to people. And they're not going to recognize that it's God bringing that judgment upon them. They're just going to say, well, you know, uh, look at look at how bad things are happening. You know, it's those Christians that tell us how bad we are when 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 they should be celebrating our our freedom. Uh, and this is the interesting thing: we as Christians come along, we say this is what God says, and we're going, ah, oh, you're just being judgmental of us. You know, just leave us alone so that we can enjoy our life and 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 you know have fun. And if it wasn't for you guys telling us that these were bad, then we would be we would be having no problems whatsoever. And this is the problem that they're going to have. And then in verse 3, it's kind of an interesting word. It says, For now they shall say, We have no king because we feared not the Lord. What then should a king do for us? And this is kind of an interesting statement. Israel had a king. Now, the king was not the right king. The right king is supposed to be David and his, and his family. And during the time of Rehoboam, they rejected God. They rejected God's kingdom. Now, granted, Rehoboam was a pretty big jerk. He was a young kid that did a lot of bad decisions. But he was the rightful king. He was of the tribe of Judah. And because he told the people... Well, I'm not listening to you. You think you think my dad Solomon's taxes were bad. You just wait. And so they said well, they threw him off and put somebody who wasn't of the tribe of Judah in there. So they never really had a proper king. From the time that they rejected Rehoboam all the way to the time that they were brought into captivity. Now they have all kinds of dynasties because somebody would be really bad, really bad, really bad. God would judge them and put another bad king in its pla- in his place who would start a new dynasty for three or four generations and then he would he would pass away but they're saying we don't have a king and in in reality they did not have a king that honored god and even more importantly they said you know even if we had a king what what good would it be to have a king what good would it be to have a king i think as i look around our country and our government, how many people are looking at our government and saying, Hey, we got a government that allows us to do whatever we want, but what good is our government? You know, it still allows these things to happen, these people to to be judgmental and, and all of that. And we look at our government and look at what is being allowed. There is no righteousness coming out of Washington, D.C. There's no real righteousness coming out of Phoenix for us in, in here in Arizona. I mean, even in our local government, there's not any real righteousness being developed. It's Everything is going deeper and deeper into sin. And it really comes down to what kind of government do we have? It's not worth anything. When our country was first founded... People made decisions based upon the word of God. And when they made laws, they had to be able to say, this is a good law because it is based upon God's God's law. Nowadays, we just make laws, and most of them are bad law to begin with, much less the fact that they don't match up with with God's truth. They're just bad laws. And we see all of this going on, and he says, "We, we don't have a king, who cares? What good is a king for us? And pretty much, even though we don't say king, you know, what good is our government? And we look around what's going on, and we're going, how can they make the decisions that they make in many cases? And I and it scares me sometimes when I look and, and watch what they're allowing to have happen. The amount of sin that they're justifying, the amount of sin that they're saying is okay, and that nobody stands up hardly at all, to say, this is wrong. And this is our job as Christians. We need to be able to come up and say, this is wrong. It is not godly. Because our world is coming apart. And the sad thing is, it's not just our country. You look around the world, and the entire world is slipping further and further into sin and away from God. Which is what scares me so much you know, to look at. And you know, It used to be that, at least one nation seemed seem to follow God somewhere. But it also is good news because it tells us that we are in the end days. There's no nation to take over and be the next great empire that's godly. And we're watching over and over. You know, you might say maybe South America with most of its Catholicism and everything that was vaguely righteous but they're, they're falling deep and deep into, deeper and deeper into it. So there's no place really where we look and say, this is the next nation. This is the next empire that's going to lift up for God. And it excites me on the one side to say we're at the end days and God is coming back soon and the church is going to be taken and the world is going to go into great tribulation. But yet at the same time, it's kind of scary because I believe we're going to suffer a lot before we're taken out. There's going to be all kinds of persecution that we have not, especially in America, seen and understood. America has been free of religious persecution for most of our existence. And it is very rare. But if you look at history, every two to three hundred years there's been tribulation for the church. Now the church has been suffering tribulation everywhere except America for quite a while. And we're starting to see the persecution come to the church in America. And, you know, I'm not looking forward to it, but by the same token, I know that it has to happen. But we need to prepare our hearts to say, God, I'm going to follow you even as things fall apart and say, I'm putting my trust into you. The good news is persecution brings out God out of his people because we find that we realize that we don't have anything that's worth giving to God so that we're able to go all right God if I don't have you I have nothing and this is where we need to get to God I have nothing to give to you I have nothing that is is good in and of myself it's all you come in and be my master and show show me how to live a life that lifts you up and so here is Hosea is saying to the people, God is going to judge. He's bringing judgment. Verse uh, 4, They have spoken words, false, swearing falsely and making covenants. Thus judgment springs up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. Now this is very picturesque. He goes, They're making false promises. They're making false statements. And they're swearing falsely. And it says, judgment springs up as hemlock. Now, hemlock is poison, all right? And it says, everything that's about them is bringing up as a poison. And this is the interesting thing as we look at our world and where things are headed. There is more and more spiritual poison being, being spread around our world and our country. Uh, and you look at what people do and they say and how they, be, how they be, behave and you're looking at what's going on and saying god how can people be so deceived they don't know the truth and they're getting further and further from the truth every every year and this is one of the reasons i love being able to teach the bible be able to explain god's truth and once you start understanding and seeing the truth lies start really revealing themselves and you look over there and saying Wow, that person is so deceived. They do not understand any of the truth at all. And they're walking around thinking that they are doing good. Uh, and this is something that's hard to understand. And watching what's going on, but they don't understand. And they're taking this hemlock and swallowing it. You know, the world is taking this poison and swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. And then they're going to wonder why they're where they're at. And when the Antichrist first comes into existence, they're going to be looking at him and saying, here's our Savior. Here are, here's the one that's going to deliver us. You know, as they, as they put Christians behind bars, they put Christians into prisons, they kill off Christians, and people are going to go, ah, now we're getting someplace. All those troublemakers are disappearing there They're being put in their place. And then the rapture will happen and the church will be taken out and they're really going to think that they have everything taken care of. Nobody's there to tell them that they're not doing the right thing. Nobody's there to tell them that they're making the wrong decisions until the 144,000 Jewish believers start preaching. And so we've got this whole process going on. It says, The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of Beth in, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof shall rejoice on it for the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. So here he's talking about Samaria having trouble because of the calves. Now remember, golden calf worship was the major idol for the northern kingdom. Rehoboam, when he or Jeroboam, when he pulled away from from the from Israel said, I don't want people to go to Jerusalem to worship. So he built up golden calves. He put one in Bethel, which is on the road to Jerusalem, and he put one in Dan. And he told the people, here's your gods. You know, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to, to worship worship God. You just, you just worship here in these, these golden calves. And they're saying here that, you know, the inhabitants, their fear because of these calves, and that they shall mourn. When, because the idol will never bring peace. Living in sin never brings peace. Now, people may think that they're happy for a short period of time in their sin. And, you know, we know what it's like because you know, we've all sinned at some point and thinking that, you know, everything is okay during, our, during that sin until God gets our, gets our attention. But the people as a whole are saying, we're just going to worship God. We're worshiping our idols. We're worshiping, and they think that they're having a good time. Uh, and this is the sad thing, how easy it is for the world to deceive themselves and say, well, I'm having a wonderful time. I'm, I'm getting drunk every night, and I feel wonderful. I'm, ha- I'm sleeping with anybody and everybody I want to, and I'm having a wonderful time doing it. You know, I'm using all these drugs, and I feel really good, but eventually everything comes crashing down around them and they realize that it is not what they thought it was going to be. And it says, the priest thereof shall rejoice in it. You know, the, the priest of the calves are going to rejoice as people fall deeper and deeper into sin. And it says, the glory thereof is departed. Eventually what you think is good will fall apart and we've probably all been there in our life otherwise we probably would never have become a Christian that we get to the place where everything just falls apart in our life and we're going there's no pleasure anywhere Ecclesiastes was all about that when Solomon drifted away from God he says everything's empty everything is vain And he goes I have women I have drinks I have products I have places named after me All the things that he says, and he goes, Everything is empty because he wasn't seeking God. And this is where it is very important for us that we fall in love with God and seek him, even when the world seems to fall apart around us. And you know, it's kind of interesting looking at this world and watching how this world is starting to fall around fall apart. We're seeing inflation kick up, we're seeing all kinds. And what's really amazing to me is they're talking about how inflation is not that big a deal. You know, the fact that we're paying twice as much as we did a year ago for things is not a real big deal. It's 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 good for our country. I don't know what drugs that they've been sniffing as they make these decisions, but you know, but that is what they're saying. You know, all the inflation is good. These people making bad decisions are, are good. Everybody, you know, deciding they want to get rid of the babies and and, and because the babies get in my way you know and, and I've heard this being said when people who have an abortion can't have a can't have a child it, it'll get in the way of my life you know it'll it'll be an interruption to the way I want to live their their god is pleasure their god is themselves and they're willing to sacrifice anything that gets in the way and this is the sad thing that we we're looking out there is how much sin there is in our world and how many people are accepting it as normal and this is going to be what's happening as we go through this he says it is also it shall also be carried away unto Assyria for the present to King Jereb, Ephraim shall receive shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel Eventually, judgment falls. Now, Israel, when they fell, was taken captive by the Assyrians. And this is what Hosea is saying. Guys, you think you've got this all down pat, but judgment is coming. Assyria is coming. Now, Assyria has already been taking northern cities all along this time. And so why do they think everything's good? I don't know. They're already starting to fall into judgment. Judgment. The northern cities are all being taken to Assyria. And Hosea is saying, it's coming. The worst of it's coming. You are all going into Assyria. And so we see this whole process coming in. And it says, as for Samaria, her king is cut off from, as the foam upon the water. Now, if you've ever been out to the ocean, and you've watched the waves and everything and the foam that forms on it, looks pretty but that foam doesn't last long it disappears very quickly and so here he's saying the king is just like that foam when the judgment comes it'll be swift now we kind of look at it and say well it doesn't seem that swift that bad but when we look at it in the whole scheme of things it it, this judgment will happen and it will be done quickly and the nations will fall. You know, when the Antichrist comes, he only reigns for seven years. Now during that seven years, people are going to think, oh, we've got it made, look at look at how everything's going for us and all of that. But what is seven years in a in the picture of history? It's just a it's just the foam on the waves, it's just the 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 quick breeze and it's done. And all of this is coming to see what God is going to accomplish now the good news for us is that God is going to take us away at the rapture that does not mean that many of us may not die in martyrdom it does not mean that there won't be trials and tribulations to go through before we're before the church is taken there's going to be some really hard times for the church now having said that There has been really hard times for the church. Right now, millions of Christians are martyred every year around the world. We are not free. Now, America has been free. Most of Europe has been free of martyrdom up until recent days. But the church as a whole is suffering. And I think that in Europe and in America and South America, we're going to see the church really taking martyrdom in its path before the before the rapture comes there's going to be tribulation there's going to be trials and it's kind of an interesting thing because I met so many people from behind the iron curtain before it fell and you know one of the things they kept saying over and over again is that they were praying for the American church to fall into judgment They did not understand how the Americans were not suffering for Christ because Jesus said, you know, that you would suffer. And so they looked at America. They were suffering. It's very interesting here in America. We were praying that they would that their suffering would stop. They were rejoicing in their suffering because God said that they were going to suffer and they're praying for America to start suffering. Because they're going, we don't understand why you guys don't suffer. And so it's kind of an interesting world. Uh, We're looking at it like it's a terrible thing to suffer. They're looking at it like it's a terrible thing not to suffer. And we need to get into that mindset that if we suffer for Christ, it's a good thing. It is what he said is going to happen. And he is going to still be on our side. You know, Paul said, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, he didn't just say, in all the good stuff, give, give thanks. In everything. So when we suffer, we're going to, we need to be going, God, thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and, you know, and it really comes down to what is our attitude towards suffering. What is our attitude toward what God's going to let us let happen in our life? Are we going to grumble and complain when we suffer a little bit? Or are we going to say, thank you, God, I've been found worthy of suffering? This is what the righteous do. They'll say, thank you. God, I am am so glad that I am worthy to suffer for your son. Now, am I going to say that that's easy to do? No. The good news is because the Holy Spirit lives in us, it should happen. But our initial attitude is going to grumble and gripe and complain that we're, that we're suffering. And we need to be able to understand that it's all about God and what he is wanting us to do. So, but we need to be ready for it. Ready to trust God that God is still in control even when nothing seems to be in control. And, you know, that's hard. I, I read Fox's Book of Martyrs and I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be alive during, during some of those times and being drug off to be tortured for Christ and be able to just say, thank God that I've been found worthy. And the abuse that was, that people were put through, the, the attacks that they were put in through, the embarrassment that people were put through. You know, you look at, the, you look at Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and watch how people were humiliated, you know, uh, especially for the women. They would be stripped and, and marched through these towns. And then they would be tortured. And the men would be the same, have the same things happen to them. You know, and all of this thing, anything to do that they could do to humiliate people, to try to get them broken through humiliation rather than pain. And then the pain would be starting after that. We need to be looking at how are we going to honor God? Are we going to stay focused on him when hard things happen? Now some of us are saying, God, thank you, I'm old, and I, maybe I'll die before any of this stuff happens. Uh, I think it's really close. I think we're looking at tribulation coming our way before the rapture, and we need to prepare our hearts for it. And so we look at here, and God says, uh, verse 8, And the high places also of the van, and the sins of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come upon their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills fall on us. O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gilboa. And there there they stood, and the battle of Gilboa against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is, my, it is in my desire that I should chastise them, and the people shall be gathered against them, and they shall bind themselves in their in their two furrows. And Ephraim is as a heifer that is taught and loved to tread out the corn, but I passed over upon her fair neck, and will make Ephraim to ride, Judah shall plough, and Jacob shall break his clods. So I want to just look at this. He goes, The high places of Avan, which is emptiness, vanity. How much high places of vanity are there? You know, lots of it in their time, and even in our day there is so much Vanity. People are worshiping at vain activities. They're worshiping their pleasure. They're worshiping after all of this, and it says they shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall be upon their altars. It's an amazing thing how quick civilization is wiped out by by nature. How fast the weeds pop up, and how fast the the weeds overgrow what is what is looked out to be something well developed. You know, all through this area where we have all the, the mining camps and everything that have just totally disappeared. Nothing left on them, you know, uh, weeds and everything have overtaken those areas because how fast things happen. You look at the Aztec civilization in, in Central and South America and those great cities once well known for their population and their civilization have all been overcome by the jungle. The jungle has overtaken them because of how fast the weeds will will conquer. And so we see all of this going on. He says, it's all going to happen. And then it goes something in here. He says that the people will say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills, fall upon us. Things are getting so bad. They're going to go just get us out of our misery. Put us out of our misery. And this is the world speaking. And none of this is going to happen. The the misery will not fall down. Now in verse 9 it says, O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gilboa, where they stood in the battle of Gilboa against the children of iniquity, did not overtake them. Now I'm sure everybody remembers the battle of Gilboa. All right? Uh, In Judges... Oh, Judges 19. We have the story about the Levite and his concubine that they are traveling back home. And he gets toward the end of the night and he decides that he needs to stay in a, in a city for the night. So where do they go? They have two choices. They can go to a Gentile city, which is closer, or they can go to Gilboa, which is a, a city in Benjamin. And they decide to go to the city in Benjamin rather than a Gentile city. They get there. And they're going to stay the night out on the street, and this older man, gentleman comes in from from the farming, and he goes, "No, you can't stay on the on the street. You need to get out of the street." He brings him to his home, and the people come knocking on the door, wanting wanting the Levite to know him. Homosexuality. Now they end up giving him his concubine, and they kill the concubine. And it's a long story. I mean, it's it's kind of an amazing story because this has happened. More often than not, this is basically the same story of Lot in and Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and the two angels. They come down and they are demanding to know this Levite. They take the concubine and they misuse her so bad, sexually and physically, that she dies. They then, in the next morning, uh, this Levite is a real real jerk because he, he finds his concubine laying out at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the door and he's shaking her like, get up, it's time to leave, and doesn't even realize she's dead. He has no sympathy. You know, he's not that great a man either. He's got no sympathy for her at all, and then he finds out that she's dead. He then takes the body, cuts it up into 12 pieces, and sends it all through Israel and says, it's time for people to stand up for God. And... The nation, all the tribes come together except for the Benjamites. Remember, this is a Benjamite city. And they all come together to bring judgment. And the first thing was, you know, submit to judgment. You know, submit to judgment and, and we'll be merciful. And they say, no, we're not. We didn't, we didn't do anything wrong. How, how easy is it for those who live in sin to say, hey, I've done nothing wrong. Who, who are you to, to bring judgment upon me? And they decide that they are going to attack the city and destroy it. In the process, the tribe of Benjamin decides to, well, you're going to go attack one of our cities. We're not going to let you attack one of, the, one of our cities. So you've got the tribe of Benjamin going against 11 tribes of Israel. And in the process of this battle, almost every single Benjamite male is killed. They get left with about 600 men left in the entire tribe. And during the process, they make this this curse that we're not going to let any of our daughters get married to, to any of these guys in Benjamin. So in the process, there's this almost destruction of an entire tribe. And if you read the story there's a long long story about how they let let the men of Benjamin kidnap the women so that they could they could have their their wives there wasn't enough so then they made this big thing that there's this party and they allowed them to kidnap <laughs> kidnap women they found it they found one town that didn't supply anybody and they took their women and gave them to Benjamin but Benjamin was almost wiped out because of the sin that they committed and Maybe a little too hard a, a, of a judgment that fell upon them. But all of this happens, and this is the story of Gilboa. And he's going, uh, you know, Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gilboa. So this is going all the way back to the days of Judges. This is before King Saul. This is before kings in the nation that this town has been a problem. And it is an amazing thing when you look at the scriptures how much sexual sins bring judgment and violence. Homosexuality all through the scriptures has brought violence to the, to the towns that are involved with it. And we see over and over all that happens with it. And this is one of the things that we look as homosexuality builds up in our country transgenderism starts building up in our country we have nothing to look forward to but violence that follows along with it and you know we we look at it and say God help us help us as we look at this it says in verse 10 it says it is my desire that I should chastise them and the people shall be gathered against them and they shall bind themselves in their two furrows so God says I'm bringing judgment God will always bring judgment upon the people. And this is what we hear in our country, in our world. You know, well, that may be your truth, but this is my truth. Well, you know, the, the thing about it is truth is truth. There is no your truth and my truth. There is no the people's truth and God's truth. All truth is based in God. And they may deny it. They may not like the fact that God is true, but God says there is truth and I will bring judgment based upon his truth. And we're going to see all of this going, coming together as God brings judgment. And a lot of it is simply the, the laws of sowing and reaping. When we sow bad seed, we will reap the destruction of that bad seed. And this is something that we're looking at our world and looking at all the bad seed that is being sown and going, God, how much longer? How much longer can our nation have, hold out? How much longer can the world hold out as we see bad seed being sown year in, year out? And we're watching the results of all of this. We're watching the violence you know, we watched cities being burned burned to the ground in all, all of last year, you know, over the last two, three years where people are, you know, and it's something that doesn't make any sense to me. We don't like what's going on, so let's burn our city down. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me to, to say, you know, let's go loot and steal and, and, and destroy everything because we don't like what's going on. and And then nobody else says anything about it. And you know we look at all of this stuff that's going on, and God says this is the judgment. You're sowing seed, and in verse eleven it says, "And Ephraim is as a heifer that is taught and loved to tread on the, out the corn. I passed over her fair neck, and I will make Ephraim to to ride. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break break up its clods." God says eventually. I'm bringing this judgment on it, you know. I'm going to break up the ground that everybody thinks is is so firm. I'm going to just, I'm going to plow their, their fields under, and their judgment will fall. And this judgment always does fall, and it'll fall in such a way that people are going to look and say, you know, what happened? You know, have you ever listened to people and going, oh, I just have no clue what happened. Everything was going along just nice and fine and dandy and the next thing I know my entire world fell apart. Well, when you sow bad seed eventually you will reap that result. And people at that time look around and saying, "Hey, everything was going good." You know, I was being I was being blessed. I had all kinds of money in the bank and I had a good job and I had I had the nine cars in the garage and the and you know all this, all these good things, and all of a sudden, everything is gone. You know, and this is what God is going to be telling them: judgment is coming. Verse twelve says, "Sow to yourself in righteousness; reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed you, you have plowed wickedness; you have reaped iniquity." You have eaten the the fruit of of lies because you did trust in your ways in the multitude of your mighty men. Therefore shall a tumult arise among your people and your fortresses shall be spoiled as Shalman spoiled Beth uh, Arbel in the day of battle. The mother was dashed into pieces upon her children. So shall Bethel do to you because of your great wickedness. In the morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. So here we see in God saying, you want good? So righteous. So righteousness. And in the middle of all of this judgment, he's saying, you know, sow to yourself righteousness and reap mercy. There's always hope. If people will just repent and start doing right, God will bring mercy. There's always hope up until the time that God brings the judgment upon a nation. There's always hope for revival. Now, I see that hope getting smaller and smaller as we go through, but there's always hope. And this is why we as Christians and we as, as members of God's body need to be able to sow good seed and 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 and, and talk to people about righteousness. Hopefully they'll repent. Now the bad news is in verse 13 but you have sowed wickedness and reaped iniquity you have eaten the fruit of lies they've sown the bad seed and they've watched what God has done and it says they have eaten the fruit of lies because they did not trust in your ways and the multitude of and trusted into the, their mighty men they did not trust God they trusted in their own strength how hard it is to walk around and trust in our own strength. And this is something that is so important, especially for us as Christians even. It is so easy sometimes for us to be feeling like we're being blessed. And instead of trusting the God that is blessing us, we start trusting in, okay, God, everything's going good. Look Look at all these blessings I've been getting. And we forget who the blessing comes from. And this is something that's very important right now. The church is preaching a prosperity gospel as a whole. You know, follow God, do all these good things, and everything's going to be good for you. Well, the problem with the prosperity gospel is eventually judgment falls even on us because of the sin that is being produced and the sin that's being produced by the, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says God will, is, must, must, do nice things to you if, if you're if you're doing good. Well, my Bible does not teach me that. My Bible teaches me that God is sovereign. And sometimes that means not so nice things happen to me even when I'm following after Him. And this is the gospel that we need to understand: that God is sovereign, He's in control, but there's always something good no matter what comes our way god says i have something good for all things work together for good for those that love god and are called according to his purpose even when it seems like everything's falling apart when it seems like everything bad is happening to me god says i have a plan now that plan may mean that we're that we go through martyrdom it may mean that we go through a lot of trials and we have to trust god and be job for a while and say god i don't understand why I'll Why my whole life has fallen apart, but you're still in control. Naked came I into this world, naked will I depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that going to be our attitude? And this is one thing that I'm really focusing on right now is as things are working our way, are we ready to say, God, I trust you even when nothing seems to be working right by sight. And we need to be able to understand that. uh, Because verse 14 says, Therefore shall a tumult arise among your people, and your fortresses shall be spoiled, as Shalman spoiled Beth Abel in the day of battle, and the mother is dashed in pieces upon her children. So God says a tumult, a a hard time, the the troublesome time uh, will be coming upon them. And you know, he says, as Shalman know." The interesting thing here is nobody really knows who Shalman is. Most people believe that he is Shalmanzar, Zah- the king of Assyria, that has been destroying cities in the north. Uh, and I'm going to buy that. It's as good, good an answer as any. It's a, it's a nice short format form of that. But as Hosea is giving this, they know who he's talking about. They know who it is that he's talking about that is bringing destruction upon the north. And it's kind of interesting. It says that he, as he spoiled it, your fortresses shall be spoiled. The thing that people think is their strength is going to be destroyed. Now, this is true even as for us as Christians, is our faith and our trust in God as our fortress, or are we putting it in the blessings and thinking that we're okay? You know, God, I've got my car, I've got a good job, I've got this, I've got that, I've got my house. There's food on my table. And God is saying, is your trust in those things or is your trust in me? And there's going to come a time when our trust needs to be in God, no matter whether it looks like things are going our way or not. And this is where we're at with this. He goes, all of this stuff. So shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness. In the morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. Again, how fast judgment falls. And this is something that is very important for us to understand. Israel and the northern kingdom fell very quickly to Assyria. Judah fell within just a decade or two when when Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered them. They were taken like overnight, as far as history goes. When they were returned to their nation and... Uh, Greece came through and conquered them. It was like instantly they were conquered. And then Rome came along and conquered them. Now we say, well, it took seven, ten years, but still, in the, in the scope of time, seven to ten years is almost instant for a fall of a nation. We're going to see the nations of the world fall. And it'll be, you know, as described in, in, in Revelation and, and Daniel. It'll be in an instant that they will fall. And the Antichrist will come up and take his position amongst the world. And we will see the destruction of the world. As God brings judgment upon this world. And it'll it'll seem to people so quick. And you know, and thankfully for when the Antichrist finally comes along, I believe we'll be gone by the time he shows up. You know, maybe we'll see him. I don't know. But he's not going to rule until we're gone. The seven years of rule will not start until we're gone. We may see him come to power. We may. I don't know. But we're going to see hard times come our way. Are we ready to trust in God as we watch our world fall apart around us? And hopefully we'll be gone. Hopefully we'll be gone before any of this major stuff happens. But, you know, there was never any promise that we would not see trials and tribulations. Now, we won't see the, tri- the judgment of God upon, uh, upon us because we will be at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years in heaven. But we may see some hard times before that. And here we see God saying to Israel, Repent, turn to righteousness, and quit following the ways of the world. Quit following after iniquity. Quit following after sin. They did not follow, They did not repent. Later on, Judah is not going to repent. At some point, the world is going to be looking up and saying, I am not going to repent. And God is going to say, fine, here's your judgment. Here's the judgment for not repenting. And this is going to be what we're looking at as we're going forward. And all of this stuff that comes down our path, The world is going to be judged and at the time they're going to be saying oh everything's wonderful we've got all these blessings we've got this that and the other thing and all of a sudden calamity falls and this is what we're looking at Lord we thank you for this evening Lord help prepare our hearts for whatever comes our way help us to walk in righteousness and to share you with others help us learn to trust you no matter what falls our direction that you are God, that you are in control, and eventually you're going to take us home and away from this world so that this world can be judged in its completeness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you, and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.